Hi everyone, welcome back to the Daily Gospel Exegesis podcast, produced by Logical Bible Study. I hope you're enjoying this approach to scripture where every day we dive into the gospel reading and we aim to do a verse-by-verse exegesis of scripture, which is where we must start as Catholics. We have to start with understanding the literal sense if we want to understand the scripture. That is Catholic teaching. And this podcast is all about helping you understand the literal sense of scripture. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it around, leave a review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube. Wherever you're listening, please make sure you share it around with people because this is how the podcast grows. It's not supported by uh, any other ministries or any diocese. It's entirely listener supported. So if you appreciate that this podcast produces episodes every single day, diving into the Gospels in a really in-depth, faithful, academic way, please consider supporting the ministry Tell others about it and also consider becoming a Patreon supporter. The Patreon supporters are the ones who really keep the ministry going. We have plans of things we want to do next year and produce even more really cool resources in helping Catholics understand the Bible, but we need your support to do that. So if you would prayerfully consider becoming a financial supporter of the ministry, I would greatly appreciate it. And the link to become a Patreon supporter is in the show notes. As always, you can ask a question of the ministry at any time, and I'll answer it in an upcoming episode. So if you have any questions, please send them through to logicalbiblestudy at gmail.com. It can be any question about uh, the Bible or about theology, and I'll do my best to address that. So all of that is in the show notes. Now, on today's episode, we are looking at the reading for the daytime mass on December 24th. So uh, if you go to tonight's Mass, so if you go to the Vigil Mass tonight, so that will be the Christmas Eve Vigil Mass, you will actually hear a different reading. So we're looking at the Daytime Mass on December 24th. If you want to hear the Christmas Eve Vigil Mass reading, you want to hear an exegesis of that, you can get access to that through the Patreon page as a bonus episode. So today's reading for December 24th, it's Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. John's father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited his people. He has come to their rescue, and he has raised up for us a power for salvation in the house of his servant David, even as he proclaimed by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times, that he would save us from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. Thus he shows mercy to our ancestors, thus he remembers his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, and he would grant us, free from fear, to be delivered from the hands of our enemies, to serve him in holiness and virtue in his presence all our days. And you, little child, you shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. This by the tender mercy of our God, who from on high will bring the rising sun to visit us, to give light to those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet in the way of peace. So this is quite a beautiful reading we have today. It's basically a song that Zechariah sings. And it's one that's well worth meditating on rather than just studying from an academic perspective, which is our focus on this podcast, helping you understand the literal sense. It's also one of those passages, like many others early in Luke's gospel, which will bear a lot of fruit in your life if you just sit with it and reflect on it. 
So what we have today has actually been given a name in Catholic tradition. This great prayer, this great song of Zechariah is called the Benedictus, which is Latin for blessed. So this whole song that we're going to study today is called the Benedictus, and it's involved a lot in the Liturgy of the Hours. So you're probably familiar with this if you do the Liturgy of the Hours quite often. So what's the context of today's passage? Just prior to this, John the Baptist has been born, he's been named by Zechariah, and Zechariah has been healed from being unable to speak. So all of that has come just before this. So as soon as Zechariah is healed, he goes on to proclaim this song that we hear today. Verse 67, John's father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice this, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very active in these early days, even before Jesus is born. The Holy Spirit is active in Zechariah's life, in John the Baptist's life. In fact, earlier in the chapter, if you've been listening in the last few days, you'll know that both Elizabeth and John have already been filled with the Holy Spirit earlier in the chapter. And now we have Zechariah as the father of the family being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he speaks this prophecy. Now, it's called a prophecy, this song here. Really, the first half is not exactly a prophecy. It's just praising God for sending the Messiah. But then the second half, as we'll see, it is a prophecy. It's a prediction about what's going to happen to John the Baptist. So the song, the Benedictus, divides into two two halves. The first half is about thanking God and praising him. And the second half is predicting what's going to happen to John the Baptist. So let's start with the first half. Verse 68, Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, even here, we can see this is a very Jewish prayer. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. The book of Psalms in the Old Testament, it's divided up into five separate books, if you study it carefully. And several of those big books in the book of Psalms end with this phrase, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. So if you look at Psalm 41, which is the end of one section of the Psalms, and also Psalm 72, which is the end of another section of the Psalms, they both end with blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. So by using these words, Zechariah clearly sees what's happening to him and the birth of John the Baptist as the fulfillment of many of the Old Testament prophecies. That's why he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, Zechariah is going to begin praising God for sending Jesus as the Messiah, which is interesting because up until now in Luke's gospel, Zechariah hasn't been told anything about the Messiah. He doesn't actually know that the Messiah is coming. He knows that John the Baptist is going to have a role in preparing people for the coming of God, but Zechariah himself hasn't been told any information about the Messiah. So it's possible that he got this information that the Messiah is coming from Mary, Maybe he's he's spoken to Mary, and Mary has relayed what the angel Gabriel has told her about the coming of the Messiah. Or maybe Zechariah has been given extra information by the Holy Spirit that has not been narrated by Luke. But by this time, Zechariah knows that John the Baptist's role is to prepare people for the Messiah. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited his people. He has come to their rescue. Or you can translate this, he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, usually when you hear this phrase in the Old Testament, he has come to their rescue, it basically means giving assistance to his people, helping the Jews. And typically it's in the context of rescuing them from physical captivity. Like in the Exodus, God came to the rescue of the Israelites. And so when Zechariah here says, blessed be God, for he has visited his people, he has come to their rescue, 
It probably tells us that Zechariah is thinking of the coming of the Messiah, which he knows is about to happen. He's thinking of that in earthly terms. He thinks that when the Messiah comes, he's going to physically, politically deliver the Jewish people. And that was a commonly held Jewish view at the time. But certainly there's a deeper sense here. Jesus the Messiah is going to come to the people's rescue in a much deeper more spiritual sense. He's going to save people from their sins. And literally, it's going to be God visiting his people. So maybe even Zechariah here doesn't know the true significance of what he's saying when he says God has visited his people. Verse 69, Zechariah says, he has raised up for us a power for salvation in the house of his servant, David. Or you can translate that he's raised a horn of salvation, which is a very Old Testament term, which basically means strength. Horn of salvation is a strong person who will bring salvation on behalf of the Jews. There's many Old Testament prophecies which say that the Savior of the Jews, the Messiah, one day he will come from the house of David, specifically, if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, it talks about how the Messiah will be from the house of David. And that's what's primarily in view here. So when Zechariah says, He has raised up for us a power of salvation or a horn of salvation, which is a symbol of strength. Zechariah perceives that this is about to be fulfilled in Jesus. God is going to raise up a power of salvation in the Messiah. He's not thinking of John the Baptist here. When Zechariah says he has raised up for us a power of salvation in the house of his servant David, he's not thinking of John the Baptist at this point because John the Baptist is not from the house of David. Zechariah is thinking of the Messiah, who he knows will be from the house of David. Zechariah continues, he says, even as he proclaimed by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. So the Old Testament has lots of prophecies that the Messiah will come. And that's what Zechariah is referring to when he says, God has proclaimed by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. So many of the prophets Both major prophets and minor prophets have predicted the coming of the Messiah. Zechariah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, perceives that all of that is about to be fulfilled. The Messiah is coming. Verse 71, he would save us from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. So here we have very good evidence that Zechariah is thinking that when the Messiah comes, he'll be a political savior. Even the disciples of Jesus thought this. It was a very common view at the time. He says, the Messiah will save us from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. Zechariah is tapping into this common view that the Messiah, when he comes, will be a political leader who is going to save the Jews from the Romans. The Jews in Jesus' time basically thought that when the Messiah comes to save people, it will be to save them in a political sense. So when Zechariah says he will save us from the hands of all who hate us, He really does think that the Messiah will save them from the Romans. So Zechariah understood some things that are about to come. He knows that the Messiah is coming, but he doesn't understand things perfectly. He's still influenced by his own biases. Verse 72, thus he shows mercy to his ancestors, or you can translate that to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. What's Zechariah talking about here? the mercy promised to our fathers. He's about to explain it in verse 73 and 74. He says, He remembers his holy covenant, his oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant us free from fear to be delivered from the hands of our enemies. So Zechariah here is talking about 
the Abrahamic covenant. He mentions Abraham specifically. In the Abrahamic covenant, basically God promises that he'll raise up descendants of Abraham, which we know are the Jews. And he also promises that these Jews, the people of Abraham, will be blessed and they will serve God as long as they keep his commandments. So the the covenant theology of the Old Testament basically says that God will bless the Jews as long as they worship and serve him well. And if they do that, he'll continue to provide a place for them to serve and worship him. The Jews in Jesus' time continued to believe that this Abrahamic covenant was still in effect. They believed in Jesus' time that if they continued to follow God's commandments, he would save them. So Zechariah ties this into the coming of the Messiah. He says the Messiah is coming. He's going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to once again restore Israel to a place where it can worship God freely. And that's what he says in verse 75, to serve him in holiness and virtue in his presence all our days. Another translation of this would be that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zechariah is a righteous Jew. He is looking forward to these days when the Jews can once again worship God in truth and in righteousness. It was clear in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well that God protected the Jews and he has a special place for them for the purpose that they would serve and honor him. He calls out a people for himself that they would serve and honor him and glorify him to the rest of the world. So Zechariah, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he knows the Messiah is coming and he believes the Messiah has come to free the Jews from political oppression so that they might serve God in freedom without fear. That was something the Jews had not had for a long time. They'd been in captivity for a long time. And Zechariah now says, the time is coming when we can worship him freely. Interestingly, the name Zechariah means God has remembered. And also the name Elizabeth means oath. And that's very relevant here, isn't it? That's very appropriate given what Zechariah has just been talking about. He says, God will remember his oath that he made to Abraham. So their names have significance. So that's the end of the first half of the Benedictus, and now Zechariah changes focus. In verse 76, he says, And you, little child. So now he's talking about his newborn son, John. That's the change of focus. He says, You shall be called the prophet of the Most High. Notice it's not a prophet of the Most High. You'll be called the prophet of the Most High. That's quite an amazing title for John the Baptist. John was the final prophet to prepare people for the arrival of God. He's the prophet of the Most High. On the other hand, Jesus, the Messiah, is called the Son of the Most High. So, John the Baptist is the prophet of the Most High. Jesus is the Son of the Most High. They both have a role to play, but they're different roles. So, here Zechariah says to John, You will go before the Lord to prepare the way before him. So, this imagery of preparing the way before God, it taps into the imagery of literally preparing a highway for the king. So, in the time of the Old Testament... When a king was coming into town, they would literally prepare the roads. They would almost bring out a red carpet for the king. So Isaiah has this prophecy in chapter 40, verse 3. He says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths. And in context, that's about the arrival of God. Isaiah is saying to the Jewish people, you need to prepare your lives. You need to prepare your cities because God is coming. You need to reform your lives. Then John the Baptist comes along and he quotes the exact same thing. You need to prepare the way for God because he's coming in the person of the Messiah. So this is predicted in Isaiah chapter 40 and Malachi chapter 3. John the Baptist knows that he is the fulfillment 
he himself, John the Baptist, will fulfill these prophecies about preparing the way for God. Here, even before John the Baptist is an adult, Zechariah perceives that one of the key roles of John the Baptist will be to prepare the way for God. This is what Gabriel had said to Zechariah earlier in the temple. He says that one of the roles of John the Baptist will be to prepare the people for the Messiah. In fact, that, that's his key role, to get people ready for the arrival of God in the person of the Messiah. Notice that Zechariah's belief here is that God himself is coming soon. You'll be the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare the way before him. Zechariah believes that John the Baptist is going before the Lord. This is a subtle hint that Jesus is God. Zechariah believes that John the Baptist is preparing people for God specifically. Verse 77, to give his people knowledge of salvation. So the key aim of John the Baptist's ministry was to get people to repent and to help them realize what's required in order to be saved. Zechariah says John the Baptist will give his people knowledge of salvation. He's going to help people understand what's required for salvation, namely repentance. And then he adds this bit of information. He says, in the forgiveness of their sins. From this verse, some people have taken it to mean that John the Baptist will literally forgive people's sins. That seems to be what Zechariah says. He will give his people knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins. Other scholars would say that's not the best interpretation. It's probably not likely that John the Baptist himself was able to forgive sins. Probably what it means here, and this is consistent with other things that happen later in John's ministry... The passage is teaching that John's message will help people realize that they need to have their sins forgiven in order to be saved. John the Baptist prepares people to realize that they need their sins forgiven. And when they come to the River Jordan to be baptized, they confess their sins in preparation for having their sins actually forgiven by God. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God. So Zechariah is saying that John's ministry will be given as a result of God's mercy. God is showing people how they can be saved through John the Baptist's ministry, even though they don't necessarily deserve it, through the tender mercy of our God. It's quite a beautiful phrase. Who from on high will bring the rising sun to visit us. Now, this is a phrase that can be translated different ways. It's one of those parts of the New Testament that's a bit unclear. Different manuscripts have this written different ways. So our lectionary translation here has Zechariah saying, who from on high will bring the rising sun to visit us. Other translations put it this way, when the day shall dawn upon us, or whereby the day spring will visit, or since the day spring has visited. So it has this, the Greek here has this idea of a day spring or the sun or something like that. In, it, in any case, it seems to convey this idea of the new day of blessing and revelation is coming. That seems to be what Zechariah is saying, who from on high will bring a new day of blessing and revelation. It is coming. Some scholars think that Zechariah here might also be tapping into messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, which describe the rising of the son of justice. And so if you look at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 uses this language of the rising sun. Also Numbers chapter 24 verse 17 points in that direction as well. And other scholars think that he's referring to a different set of Old Testament passages like Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 5 and Zechariah chapter 3 verse 8, which describe the Messiah as the branch. Remember how in the Old Testament it describes the Messiah as a branch that will sprout from the stock of David. 
And if you read the Greek Old Testament, in these passages which talk about the Messiah being a branch or a shoot, the word rise is used. The Messiah will rise. So maybe Zechariah here is combining all of these Old Testament prophecies to describe the the day rising or the day spring arising as the time of the fulfillment when the Messiah will arise. Something like that. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Who are the people who sit in darkness and the shadow of death? It's probably a reference to people who are in sin, who are not in God's favor. They're not living according to God's commandments. Clearly here, Zechariah is quoting from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, which says this, O you people who walk in darkness and in the shadow of death, light will shine on you. In the context of Isaiah, he's prophesying that there will be a Messiah that will save the people. Zechariah now quotes from Isaiah, he believes it's fulfilled. He thinks that John's ministry, John the Baptist, will bring salvation to many people by making them aware of their sin and causing them to repent and follow God. And he knows that Jesus the Messiah will continue this ministry. In fact, that Isaiah passage, chapter 9 verse 5, goes on to describe the birth of the child as someone who's going to bring, who, who will be the Prince of Peace, who will shine his light on people. So all through here, Zechariah is quoting from Isaiah chapter 9, particularly. He continues, he says, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So this is a common Jewish metaphor. It's a Jewish way of describing being in communion with God by following his commandments. God will guide their feet in the way of peace. John the Baptist and Jesus will help the Jews do that. He'll guide the people in the way of peace. He'll bring, they'll bring people to God. Some scholars think the fact that Zechariah's final words here that he's just spoken include the word shine and peace. Both of those words showed up there. Maybe that's significant. Some scholars notice a connection here with Aaron's priestly blessing. If you go to Numbers chapter 6, this is the blessing that Aaron gives to the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. That blessing is probably familiar to many of you. That's Aaron's blessing in Numbers chapter 6 that he gives the people. It's also the blessing that Zechariah was supposed to give when he came out of the temple when he was on duty as a priest. Remember how he's struck dumb when he's in the holy the holy place? And when he comes out, he's supposed to bless the people with that prayer, but he's struck dumb. So some scholars think that the fact that he ends the Benedictus here with the words shine and peace... Both of those words are in the Aaronic blessing. So maybe he's finishing the blessing that he was unable to do earlier, which is really interesting. So that's all he has to say here. We're also going to look at verse 80 because verse 80 is the final verse in chapter 1. It's a good way of finishing off the chapter. So verse 80 says, Meanwhile, the child grew up and his spirit matured and he lived out in the wilderness until the day he appeared to Israel. So let's start at the with the first phrase here. Meanwhile, the child grew up and his spirit matured. A similar comment is made about Samson in the Old Testament. If you look at Judges chapter 13, it says the same about Samson. In fact, the same thing is said about Jesus later on. It says that Jesus matured. More literally, what it says here is that the child became strong in spirit, which probably means it's talking about John the Baptist here. It means that John the Baptist became quite a spiritual person. This is Luke narrating here. He says that John the Baptist grew up and his spirit matured. He became quite a spiritual person. Luke then says he lived out in the wilderness. So 
John the Baptist spent most of his time in the wilderness of Perea, which is to the east of Judea, if you look at a map. He doesn't spend most of his time in Jerusalem, where his parents live. His parents live in a village just outside of Jerusalem, but John the Baptist doesn't grow up there. He lives in the wilderness of Perea. Why does John the Baptist go out into the wilderness? Why not just stay in uh, the vicinity of Jerusalem? There's two main theories about why John the Baptist grows up and spends most of his time in the wilderness. One theory is that the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness as a young man. He was inspired to go out into the wilderness himself, and that would certainly make sense. There's another theory which is more interesting, which could be right, we're not sure, but this theory says that his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were too old to look after him, and we know that they're quite advanced in age. So maybe what happens is, as they got too old to look after him, they sent him out to the Essene community at Qumran. There was a group of monks out there called the Essenes, and maybe they sent Zechariah out there because they know that Zechariah has a particular role in being holy and bringing people to God. Maybe they figure that a good place to send him to grow up is the Essene community at Qumran. This is the group that writes the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a lot of interesting evidence that suggests that John the Baptist might have actually been an Essene. He might have spent time in this community. The Gospels don't say this, but there's a few things that point in this direction. For example, the wilderness of Perea, where he ministers, is very close to Qumran. Also, John the Baptist focuses on a baptism of repentance. The Essenes focused on the same thing. Also, his diet is very similar to what the Essenes ate. And also, later on, John the Baptist will call the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Turns out the Essenes had a very similar phrase for the Pharisees. Also, John the Baptist himself interprets this phrase, a voice cries in the wilderness, which is from Isaiah. John the Baptist interprets this to be about a call to spiritual preparation. The Essenes also interpreted the text in the same way. So some scholars think that John the Baptist was very much influenced by the Essenes and he grew up with them before he left the community to do his own ministry out at the River Jordan. It's a very interesting theory. And if you want to look into this a bit more, the best book on this would be Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls by John Bergsma, which brings together all of these different bits of evidence that might suggest that John the Baptist was an Essene. It's quite interesting. Then Luke says, until the day he appeared to Israel. So John the Baptist spent time in the wilderness before he appeared to Israel, which is interesting. So apparently when John was about 30 years old, which was the age when he could start public ministry, that's the point at which he began preaching out in the wilderness near the River Jordan. And we know that many people flocked to him to hear him preach and to be baptized. So that's the end of Luke chapter 1. The next part of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, this recounts the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, that famous passage when they they take the donkey to Bethlehem and he's born in a stable. You won't get to hear that passage read at the normal Christmas Day Mass, but you can hear the first part of Luke chapter 2 at the Christmas Midnight Mass, that's when that's read, and then the second part of Luke chapter 2, so verses 15 to 20, that's read at the dawn mass at Christmas. So if you want to hear an exegesis on that first part of Luke chapter 2, you won't hear it through the regular podcast, but you can hear them as bonus episodes of the podcast through the Patreon page. We'll go through those famous Bethlehem scenes and the birth of Jesus. We'll go through that through that verse by verse as bonus episodes of the podcast. Let's now turn to the Catechism to see what it has to say about this passage here, Zechariah's famous Benedictus. 
There's a few brief references here. So paragraph 422, which is in the section about the good news. God has visited his people. He has fulfilled the promise he made to Abraham and his descendants. He acted far beyond all expectation. He sent his own beloved son. So there the catechism echoes these similar themes of God visiting his people, which is what exactly what Zechariah said. Paragraph 717 is about John the Baptist. It says, Mary's visitation to Elizabeth thus became a visit from God to his people. So Zechariah here mentioned how the arrival of the Messiah is God visiting his people. And here the catechism says that when Mary visits Elizabeth, which was earlier in Luke chapter 1, it's in a very real sense, it's God visiting his people. As Jesus in the womb visits Elizabeth and John the Baptist. Paragraph 523 says, St. John the Baptist is the Lord's immediate precursor or forerunner, sent to prepare his way. Prophet of the Most High, John surpasses all the prophets of whom he is the last. So there we have a very clear Catholic teaching that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet. He is the last and greatest. Lastly, paragraph 706 says, Against all human hope, God promises descendants to Abraham as the fruit of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Abraham's progeny, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This progeny will be Christ himself. So the link there, of course, is to Abraham. Zechariah's Benedictus talked about Abraham, and the Catechism picks up on that theme about the blessing which is fulfilled, which was originally given to Abraham, but it's fulfilled in Christ. So thanks for listening to today's episode. Just a quick note about tomorrow's episode for Christmas Day. What you'll hear is an exegesis of the reading which is read at the normal Christmas Day Mass. So that's what we'll go through in tomorrow's episode. It's the standard reading for the daytime Christmas Day Mass. So if you go to a different Christmas Mass, so if you go to the the midnight Mass perhaps, or even the Mass at dawn, you won't get to hear an exegesis of those tomorrow, but you can hear them as bonus episodes of the podcast through the Patreon page. Thank you so much again for your support of this ministry particularly around Christmas time. I would ask you to prayerfully consider giving a financial gift to the ministry or becoming a financial partner of the ministry to help it keep doing what it's doing and to make even more projects in helping Catholics understand their Bible better. That's what we're all about. So if you want more information about how you can become a supporter of the ministry and the exclusive uh, bonus things you can get access to, have a look at the Patreon page and the link for that is in the show notes. From me, I hope you have a really blessed Christmas day tomorrow and that you're able to spend some time in God's word, getting to know God better and the amazing gift that he's given us in his son, Jesus.